Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am Meredith Bond, one of our hosts, and here with me is my other host. I'm Prue Warren. Prue, I'm so happy to see you here today, and I'm so happy to have our listeners with us. Hello, listener. How are you? I can't hear you. Don't answer. (laughs) (laughs) You can answer. I talk to inanimate objects all the time. Please. Please answer. Meredith, today, I'm so pleased to be the ignorant half of our team because I think there's a lot to be learned on today's topic. So consider me open-eared. We're going to talk about accountability partners, which I think is fascinating. Guide me, lead me. What do you got? Accountability. It's so interesting. I When I first started to this, when I was first thinking of going into book coaching, I was thinking what I really wanted to do was be an accountability coach and to sort of specialize in that. Is there such a thing? People can find specifically accountability coaches? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that is, that's a, 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 an important part of my coaching business. Wow. I have wow. some clients that are just come to me for accountability. And, um, and it's so, so interesting and so important because without accountability, we're just not going to get anything done. Well, that's, that's very true. <laughs> I, my, my current, one of my current accountability clients who I just met with this morning said it has taken her four years to write the first quarter of her book and she's tired of taking so long to just do it and so she hired me to just to give her a kick in the butt so that's interesting because I I think at the moment a lot of people are having issues because um, the whole pandemic issue has kind of clogged up everybody's creative flow absolutely so she's she's had four years to write the I mean she's been going on longer than the pandemic it must be such a relief for her to have you in her corner. Oh, absolutely. I She said so this morning. She said, you know, I have written more in the past two weeks since the last time we talked, because we took a break for the holidays, um, that than I've done in six months. Just your partnership work. I know, I know we have a lot to talk about. I know, I know there are a lot of things, a lot of ways people can find accountability, but I'm thinking specifically. When she hired you, what was what were the limits of your relationship? How much did it cost? How long do you work together? How do, how does that work? Um, she's a new client, and so actually, she found me. Uh, I, she either found me through the RWA, where I am listed as one of the service providers. RWA is Romance Writers of America. Thank you. Um, or she might have. Googled, I think I show up if you Google romance book coach. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Because she, she also has- writes for agency romance. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Super nice. And her, she wants everybody needs something different. Everybody needs that little push at a different, different pace. So some people might want an email every day where they have to respond with how many words or how many pages or how much time they spent that day writing. That seems very intense. Yeah. Other people are fine with once a week with just an email or with a phone, a zoom call once a week. This person wants, wants a phone, a zoom call every two weeks. And so we just get online every two weeks and talk for, and she talks to me for a half an hour. I ask her questions. I keep notes as to how much she's done. And so I can remind her how far she's come and she knows herself because she's also tracking it. And, you know, we discuss her book. Well, I, you know, I, I think that's brilliant because I find when my book isn't going smoothly, it's very hard to sit down. When I finally sorted out whatever the tangle is, you can't stop me from writing. I just right. can't get that down. So it's a really neat idea. You're her on-call brainstormer. Yeah, exactly. And I may or may not give suggestions, coaching, right? depending on what the person wants. She specifically said, I don't necessarily need you to plot with me. I just need somebody to listen and ask intelligent questions. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. And how do you divide that up between your book coaching duties? Because you do have very specific, here, here I am a book coach, here I am an accountability partner. It must be very hard to sit on your hands when what you really want to say is rather than, you know, Right. You got a plot issue. You got a plot hole here. Fix right. this. Right. So if I see that she has a plot hole, then I will say, have you thought this through? Or have you, you know, done your story structure? Have you plotted you it out? Have you? And so I will give her some coaching mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because, yeah, I don't think I could shut up. <laughs> right. right. If you see a possibility especially if a story is really going well. So uh, how much does your accountability cost? It depends on how often I contact you for her because it's just every two weeks with a half hour phone call. It's $50 a month. Oh, that seems very reasonable. Yeah. If you want me to contact you every week, it'll be more. If you want me to contact you every day, it'll be even more. (laughs) (laughs) How much handholding do you want? Yeah. Okay. Well, that is, I think that's fascinating. And I'm sorry to divert you from the concept of accountability partners in general. So back on track, let's talk about who needs what and why. Right. So when we talked about Gretchen Rubin and the four tendencies, the four tendencies, thank you. We, we talked about this somewhat because different people, depending on how their minds work and how they work will react better and deal better with different accountability tools. So just quickly, over quick overview of the four tendencies, um, upholders 
uh, respond well to both inner and outer expectations. So uh, we'll, we'll go into more depth. Questioners will respond well to inner expectations. If they need to deal with outer expectations, they will question or resist them. That was very interesting. Yeah. Keep going. I'm sorry. That's okay. Obligers will do anything for anyone outside of themselves. So they do well with outer expectations. They won't listen to themselves. And rebels don't respond to anybody for anything. <laughs> but but you had a you had a wonderful workaround for that. So okay. Okay. Uh, I'm I was just looking up on our website to see which episode number was uh was oh, good was Gretchen Rubin's Four Tennessees, and it was episode number 67. So if anybody wants to go back and want the full scoop on that, it's episode 67. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. So different methods of accountability. If you are an upholder and you respond well to both inner and outer expectations, then you've got it easy. Just clarify. And Outer expectation is when your when your publisher is expecting to get the book. Precisely. And an inner and an inner expectation is you expect to write three books a year or whatever. Right. And some okay. people just have that inner drive that you know they decide that they're going to do something and and they do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I call it stubbornness. My husband calls it tenacity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's good. But some people do better when they have somebody on the outside, like an an accountability coach or a writer friend or a Facebook group or uh, some sort of external accountability group. Um, The Washington Romance Writers has an accountability group that meets once a month, right? right? Where you all get together, we all get together and discuss what we've done and what we need to do. Good. Right? Always good to have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So absolutely. An upholder will respond really well to either of those tools. Wait a minute. Um, One of them, what what were the two tools? Oh, an external group or your own personal motivation. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. A questioner, you won't really listen to that outside group. It won't really make a difference, right? Yep. I think I'm a questioner. Well, I don't care what you think. (laughs) Exactly. You don't give a damn if I say, hey, Prue, how many words did you write? You're like, yeah, what, why do you care? What's it to you? (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) This is no contest. We don't have to match words. Come on. (laughs) Okay. So, but you have decided that you were going to write three books this year and you are damn well going to do it. Yep. Yep. Tenacious or stubborn. Right. Exactly. So creating your own goals is really helpful. Writing those goals down is really helpful because you have written it down. Therefore, you are going to do it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That was epic podcast number. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm looking. Podcast 69, goals for the year. You bet we did. It was very helpful. <laughs> I'm 
sorry. So that's questioners. Write so your own questioners. Goals. Write down your goals. Create a schedule. Put it into your calendar. Mm. If it's there, you're going to do it. I'm holding up a piece of paper that the listener can't see. But see, today I have on my list, make a fucking calendar. I mean, I've got I've to come to grips with out, Outlook or something. But that's today's. Yeah, I put it on the, my goals and I'm doing it. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> having that internal motivation is perfect for questioners. Having that schedule, perfect for questioners. They decide they're going to do it. They've written it down. It's going to happen. Yep. Yep. Very good. For obligers, they're exactly the opposite. It doesn't matter how many goals they've written down. It doesn't matter whether it's in their calendar or not. They <laughs> said that they were going to do it. Eh. Who they they need that external motivation. They need that book coach. They need that accountability group. They need that writing group. They need that writer friend to say to give them a, a kick in the butt and say, get going. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. An accountability partner like you would be ideal for that. I mean, if they don't have a a, a writer friend or someone who will who will nudge them. Exactly. Right. Also really good for that. For them are children. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What that means is you're making if, me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> if you have children, you want their respect, you want them to look up to you, you want to provide an excellent example for them. Oh, being sitting down and working and showing your child that you are sitting and working and getting things done provides all of that. So that's fascinating. You think an obliger, okay, because I think when you get into, I want my kids to respect me and therefore I will work hard. First of all, that's a brilliant spin. Secondly, I think that turns you into more of a internally motivated person. That becomes an person. I want my kids to respect me. I want them to see me working hard. No, it, it's the fact that somebody is looking over your shoulder. I see. I see. So your kids become your accountability partner, unwitting though they are. Yes. And I can tell you that my daughter, the only way she got her homework done was to sit across the table from me and while we were both working because no. she is an obliger and she needed oh me to be sitting there looking at her and saying, are you getting it done? Wow. Wow. I gave birth to a rebel. You had it easier. That was a really good one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. And because I, I gave birth to an obliger, I am an extremely good nag. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm a good nag too, but it never worked. <laughs> it never worked. I mean, that kid really resisted. I'm sorry. Carry yeah. on. Uh, <laughs> so what you've said is that obligers are the ones who benefit most from an external partner, even a partner as unofficial as a child. Exactly. Fascinating. Anybody looking over their shoulder and keeping just an eye on what they're doing or the fact that they are working, that'll kick them in the pants and get them moving. That's fascinating. Okay. Now you have the hardest part. Now you've got rebels. And then we've got rebels. 
And rebels don't listen to themselves and they don't listen to anybody else. <laughs> These people really are stubborn. Oh, boy. Not only stubborn, but they're just impossible. Because <laughs> the only way to get a rebel working is for them to be tricked into it. And frequently, they'll have to trick themselves into doing it because they, they have to provide a challenge. They have to provide a damn good reason to get it done. So, for instance. So, for instance. <laughs> for instance, they can challenge themselves. So, they can uh, read, an, as we were talking about last time, reading a book by somebody else and saying, hell, I can do better than that. Oh, yeah. Well, that is that is an inspiring moment. The the example that you gave that I thought was so fascinating in the previous episode on Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies was to say to a rebel, there's no way you can write a book. Yeah. Nobody thinks you can do it. I don't think you could do it. You don't think you can do it. You just can't do it. And I, there's no way you can get 300 words, 3,000 words written in a week. Nobody can do that. Right. And that is what gets the rebel fired up. and. I got to prove you wrong. Right. They are very contrary. So, contrary, but but powerful. Is it always I have to prove you wrong? Is that the the primary motivation for a rebel? It's I have wrong. To, if you're yeah. dealing with an external uh, source of motivation, then yeah, I think you have to. I think it's usually I have to prove you wrong. If you're dealing wow. with the internal source of motivation, they have to challenge themselves or wow. or prove themselves wrong. If they say, there's no way I can do this. That's pretty fascinating. And I think, you know, all of these personality types have very obvious upsides and downsides. I mean, if you're in a relationship with an upholder, if you're in a relationship with a questioner, if you've given birth to an obliger, whatever it is, there's always the upside to it. The rebels, it's hard to see an upside to someone just determined to be contrary. Are they more creative? Are they more, are they less susceptible to criticism are they what's the upside to being someone who was so defiant i have no idea but <laughs> honestly because it they're working against themselves it does seem that way and yet there are a lot of rebels who are extremely successful because they take on that challenge because they rise to the occasion they dare they dare Okay, I think the other opposite side of being being obstreperous is being brave. Yeah. All right. That's pretty fascinating. And stubborn. And stubborn. Well, stubbornness has great value. You know, we talked with uh, Grace Burroughs about the inner critic, how corrosive it is, that voice in your own head that says, no way, you can't. Don't do that. That's stupid. The voice that always is perpetually criticizing you, if you were a rebel, you would be motivated by that voice, not inhibited by it. That's true. That is a very good point. Wow. All right. All right, rebels. Good luck to you. <laughs> we all we all could use a little bit more rebel in us, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I actually when I was I was talking to my client this morning, she was saying that her inner editor stops her from getting her words down. Yeah. I think for for most people, that's true. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as she's typing and writing, her inner editor 
is saying, no, no, reword that. Uh Uh-uh. There's got to be a better word here. And it takes her forever to get anything down because that inner editor is is constantly stopping her. Right. So I had a suggestion for her, which I will share with you. Okay. In case for all of our listeners, if your inner editor is stopping you from getting those words down, make it so that you can't see easily what you're typing. Come on. What do you mean? Are you serious? Physically? You can either block off your screen or uh, what I suggested was if you have Microsoft Word or Pages, uh, Apple Pages, or um, some other way of typing into your phone and a an external Bluetooth keyboard. Oh, wow. Link your keyboard to your phone and just <laughs> type. You cannot easily see what you are typing. <laughs> that is a wild idea. Has she tried it yet? Uh, no, she said she was going to. I just suggested oh, that I this think, morning. I think that's such an interesting idea. I think that's such an interesting idea. Uh, my uh, my version of this is very is very different, and probably because I'm a questioner and I'm and I'm more internally motivated. But when I can't, when I have those moments of I'm not re- using the right words, what I tell myself is, okay, I'm committing to writing a really shitty job here. I'm committing to doing it badly. And yep. then when I'm done, then I'll go back and polish it up. Right. And as soon as I do that, it does shut down that inner editor who says, all right, write it badly. Go ahead. I'll, I'll criticize you later. And as soon as the editor is quiet, there doesn't have to be a lot of rewriting done later. Because when it flows, you know, when it comes out naturally and easily, it's better. Right. Absolutely. That Nora Roberts is famous for her shitty first draft. City first draft. That sounds absolutely perfect to me. I used to do it when I was a fundraising copywriter, when I didn't know how I was going to get into this package, this letter. I would just say, I'm going to write really badly. And by the time I got halfway down the page, I found the actual lead. And I would delete the first six paragraphs and go, here it is. I'm at the I'm at the beginning. This is where I needed to be. So for me, the inner editor is shut down by by <laughs> committing to poor quality. That's that's what does it for me. <laughs> but not being able to see your screen is such a fascinating concept. I am I I want I would like uh, an update in a couple of weeks, please, if she does it, if it works for her, because or if any listener tries it and it works for them, drop us a note because how fascinating is that? Yeah. Um there's actually a a machine that you can buy, a keyboard that you can buy. I forget what it's called. It was really popular like five years ago that it's it's a just a keyboard with a tiny, tiny little screen that holds like four lines of text. Wow. And people um, would work on that. But barring that, I think just a cheap, an external Bluetooth keyboard and your phone works so well. We're all carrying around these incredibly powerful computers in our pockets. Sure we are. Sure we are. Put it to use. <laughs> typing, typing on your phone. It takes me 20 minutes to write a text, though, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm old. I'm 62. I'm like, I'm old. I write, 
I write very slowly on the phone, not go like the wind on the keyboard. But I, I love the concept. Yes, I see what you're saying. Now, I'm not typing into the phone. I'm typing into the Bluetooth keyboard. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm happy. It's wild. Very interesting. So those are are my ideas for accountability. I'm just looking over my list here. It you know goals, schedule, ritual, writing groups, critique groups, external motivation. Let's talk There's- a little bit about. Let's talk a little bit about ritual. Okay. Who do you th- who do you think is best served by a writing ritual? Someone who's internally motivated yes. is what I'm assuming. Yes. So an upholder or a questioner. Yes. And so when you mean a ritual, what you mean is I will write every day from nine thirty to eleven. Right. Exactly. And you just get into a habit. Yeah. And when you get into a habit like that, of of writing at the same time every single day, your brain gets acclimated to it and it knows that it's that time of day and it it just flips on the switch to creativity and to writing. I think that's fascinating. I was working with a trainer on um, poor sleep because I don't always sleep well. And she said, if you go to bed at the same time every night, you will train your body to release, let's see, the melatonin. You'll release yes. it at 10 o'clock at night. If you go to bed at 10 o'clock every night, and you'll release the cortisol that wakes you up at seven in the morning. <coughs> and if you if you are consistent, I am I am cortisol dominant. I like to stay up late. She said if you're consistent, even someone who is cortisol dominant can flip their switches. I never lasted more than two or three weeks. I never did it long enough to to make my hormones shift with me because I'm too much of a questioner. But but I love the concept that there's probably a hormone for creativity and receptivity and um, sort of diligence that you can train your body to release at a certain time of day. Yeah. Or sometimes auditory stimulus works. So um, putting on Brain FM or putting on even in these COVID times, we can't always necessarily go out to a coffee shop, but there are um, on Brain FM and and some of these other um, music or uh, auditory stimulus uh, programs, you can just put on the sound of a coffee shop and you just put in your headphones and you're still at home safe, but you put in just this white noise of people talking and that really well that would drive me up the wall (laughs) i know it would drive me up the wall too but i i like to listen to brain fm which has um just bland instrumental or electronic music i see and some people do very well writing to to music i always have music on when i'm writing but you know it varies it's whatever i'm listening to okay so that's very fascinating it doesn't sound to me as though an auditory stimulus or an auditory ritual would would be better for one or more of these types. It just seems like if you're the kind of person who likes white noise, there's a good tool for you. Yes. What is where do you get Brain FM? What explain? Oh, it's a, a website and an app that you can download to your phone. Okay. And uh, if you just uh, search for Brain FM, you will find it. Um, and it it tunes into your brainwaves. So no, way. no, it does not. Yeah, that's what they say. That it does. How? They have 
I don't uh, know. Uh, um, let me be a questioner. <laughs> That's a marketing gimmick. They're playing you good background music for white noise people, but it can't respond to your brain. It's being programmed in Duluth. I mean, there's no way. There's no way. Sorry. I don't mean to burst your bubble. Of course it works. It absolutely works. Meredith listening. You can read their white paper that they have on their website. I suppose it could be like those sleep tracker apps. It may be listening to your breath. It may be listening to. No, it's, it, it's the, the beats. It's the, the base structure of the music that you can set it for slow, medium, or fast, depending on the, what works best for you. You're selecting the speed. It's not selecting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to yes. have. I'm sorry to have. Expressed. You are selecting the speed. You are selecting what music you listen to or what sounds you listen to. <laughs> so you can listen to uh, instrumental music. You can listen to the sound right. of the ocean. You can listen to talking, whatever it is that that great. works for you. That's great. That's that. I, and now that's much more helpful. If I say I want to be at the beach, give me give me the sound of waves hitting the shore. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I'm with yeah. you now. Rain.fm. That's, I think that's very cool. All right. Yes. Um, have I, do I, do I interrupt you by saying next week, we, do you have more than you want to cover? I don't think. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was if you are someone who has, who is, who likes external motivation, there are also apps where you can track your words or time or pages. Cool. And how would you find those apps? Accountability apps. Yeah, or or writing apps or word count apps. All right. Just just search for them and, and you will find them. There are a bunch of them. Okay. All right. That's some excellent. are free, some cost money. Okay. All right. So that's that's brilliant. And hopefully that will help everybody because there are so many different types of writers and so many different types of tools available. Next week, I'm dragging another novice writer into our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meg Napier has written two books and two novellas. She's a glorious writer. She's a wonderful person. And she's just beginning her writing career too. And she and I often get together and frown over marketing. What is that? So um, I've asked her to come on so that she and I both can bombard you with questions and share our frustration, (laughs) not yet attaining the New York Times bestseller list. Any day now. (laughs) You're closer than I am. (laughs) I feel that's that's unlikely. Um, So next week, we're talking to McNabie. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. All right, Meredith, thank you very much. And I'll talk to you next week. All right, Prue. Have a good week. You too. Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week.